Hello everyone, James Barnett, creator and producer of the Night's End podcast. We have a special episode for you today. Special in that the story is a longer one than usual, just like our mid-season episode last year, Elevator of the Dead. It's also special because it has a giveaway on Instagram that comes with it, that the author of today's tale, The Elevator Game, Brooke McKenzie, has so graciously offered to sponsor. And no, I didn't plan to have another episode about elevators as our mid-season episode. Just a happy coincidence. Winners of this competition get a book of their choice from Amazon and a Night's End mug. What you have to do to get your hands on these prizes is follow Brooke and the Night's End on Instagram. Leave a comment on both of our Instagram pages with some specific feedback and tag three friends. Lastly, you need to listen to the episode, which you are doing right now. So well done. All of this can be done from the safety of your couch or hidden under a blanket. We would love for you all to get involved and help support independent authors and podcasters. Head to Instagram and check out at MacBrookPro or at Night's End Podcast for all the details and to enter. I also just want to thank all the amazingly talented voiceover artists that have helped bring this episode and every other episode to life. They're all volunteers and do it for the love of the craft, so please show them some support and check out their links and podcasts. Now sit back and enjoy the episode. Yes, yes, may I help you? Evening, sir. Sorry to disturb you. Call me Lee. Lee Mortain. Brother of Alan Mortain. Good evening, Lee. What are you doing here? I, I, just trying to find a blasted way to escape this madness. That damn Malik has trapped my family here and is feeding off our spirits. It's what gives him power. It's what gives him power. So you're against the butler, then? Ah, indeed. Ooh, I suppose you're this Jimmy Horrors that everyone in the mansion is so furiously talking about. Yes. We are trying to witness all of the stories to make the elevator appear so we can go home. The elevator? Huh. It's just through here in the hall. Uh, let me show you. Yes, please. This is it. Let's go back to our own domain 
is coming. Make haste on your departure. Good luck to you. Don't worry. I I will find a way out for the rest of us. Malik. Yes. You two have been busy, haven't you? No thanks to you. You've been working against us this whole time. You say against. I say that I am working towards something greater than you can imagine. You will not keep us here any longer. My apologies, sir. But you will never leave this house. You are far too valuable to the energy of this place. You mean your power? Uh, Whatever you say. Out of the way, butler. I suggest you turn around and go back with this peasant. Hey, what you've done to all of the people here is sadistic and and unforgivable. So many lives cut short, so many years of torment. Your reign will end, Malik. Maybe not today, but someday soon. Eternity is only the beginning for you and everyone here. You may call me the Dark One, but I am just a mere servant, and my job is to keep you all here. And that is what I intend to do. Like I said, eternity is just the beginning. That damn coward. He's stolen our only way out of here. What's that, friend? Your friend is right, Jimmy. Witness them all, or find his remains. There are these other options for you. We will. Find his remains and vanquish him. He will not get away with this. I will talk to the others and ask them to step up the search and perhaps we can help you. Uh, work towards a common goal? (sighs) I think it is time we work together. Thank you, Lee. What is it, friend? The Elevator Game, written by Brooke McKenzie, narrated by R.E. Rule. It all started with something I saw on the internet. Alice, you need to see this. My friend Carrie had been hunched intently over her laptop for the last half hour. I had been occupying myself with a particularly tricky crossword puzzle. In other words, it was a typical Friday night. We were not exactly prom queens. She passed her laptop to me, and I watched security camera footage of what appeared to be a young woman having a nervous breakdown in a malfunctioning elevator. 
She enters the elevator in a red raincoat, pushes many buttons, and the doors remain open. She hides, and her mouth appears pixelated on camera. Eventually, she steps into the hallway and appears to be having a conversation with someone who isn't there. She leaves the frame, and the doors finally close. Hmm. I shut Carrie's laptop. What's so interesting? A crazy chicken in elevator? I like your cat videos better. Wait, you didn't hear about this? About a crazy chick in an elevator? Um, no. Mr. Mensa's biology final has been my sole focus lately. She sat next to me and put a hand on my shoulder, which meant I should pay attention, even though I had just figured out the solution to 13 down. Carrie told me the story of Alyssa Lamb, the woman in the red raincoat who had traveled to California from Canada and was staying in the Cecil Hotel. I raised my eyebrows to let her know she had my full attention. Hearing the name of the hotel struck a major chord of recognition, just like Carrie knew it would. The Cecil Hotel was located in Los Angeles's notorious Skid Row, and to say it had a checkered history is an understatement. It was, for instance, a final drinking spot of Elizabeth Short, who is better known as the Black Dahlia, perhaps the world's most famous murder victim. The Black Dahlia was found drained of blood, cleaned, and severed in half with a macabre grin slashed across her face. This murder fascinated me, and I had read way too many books and articles on the subject. In the 1960s, the Cecil was nicknamed the Suicide for the amount of desperate and depressed guests who checked in, only to check out of their own lives. Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, nestled into the Cecil during his killing spree, even brazenly dumping his bloody clothes into the dumpster outside and casually strolling, half-naked, through the lobby and up to his room. The Cecil was, according to many paranormal enthusiasts, crawling with ghosts. Because of its grisly history and numerous reported hauntings, the Cecil was a favorite topic of mine. How could so much darkness exist in one place? Especially a place that seemed as innocuous as a hotel, with its room service and bellboys. And so, in 2013, the death of Alyssa Lamb, with all of its bizarre circumstances, could have only happened at the Cecil. She'd been reported missing for several weeks, when guests began complaining of poor water pressure, and the drinking water was brown and foul-tasting. When a maintenance worker dragged a ladder to the roof, took the treacherous climb to the water tank, and removed the heavy lid, he made a grisly discovery. Alyssa's body was floating naked, along with her clothing and personal effects nearby. The last time she had been seen alive was in the elevator video. Carrie paused dramatically, as if to let the story settle in. I went ahead and stated the obvious. 
So you're surprised that a woman who was having a psychotic episode committed suicide? Wait, just listen. Elisa had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but by all accounts, she was on the right combination of medication and treatment. If she had committed suicide, that would mean that she had somehow gotten onto the roof without triggering the security alarm, managed to climb up the tower without a ladder, and replace the heavy lid from inside the tank. Her autopsy showed no sign of rape or trauma. She had no drugs in her system. Her death was ultimately marked undetermined. No one really knows what happened to her. Carrie's left eyebrow was raised slightly. I knew she had a thought brewing and was just waiting for me to ask the right question. Do you have a theory about what happened? She leaned even closer. Have you ever heard of the elevator game? The elevator game is a Korean internet legend. Put simply, it proposes that by pressing the right combination of buttons, an elevator passenger can be transported to another dimension. The player finds an elevator that will preferably remain empty throughout the game in a building with at least 10 floors. The player enters the elevator on the first floor and then visits the fourth floor, allowing the doors to open without getting off. Then, the player presses the button for the second floor, then the sixth, then back to the second. Usually at this point in the game, a woman enters the elevator, and one of the game's most important rules is invoked. Do not interact with the woman. Do not look at her. Do not speak to her. She will try to get your attention. But if you interact with her, she will lure you to the other dimension and you will be stuck there forever. The player must go back to the second floor and then up to the tenth. The doors will open and the player will see that the hallway is plunged into darkness. While the hallway may look identical to the one in the building, at this point, the player is actually in another world entirely. Entities may appear that will try to confuse the player and lure her out of the elevator. Once out of the elevator, it can be very difficult to find a way back. If the darkness is not enough of a clue that the player is in another dimension, there will also be a red cross glowing in the background, like an eerie welcome sign. No matter what, the player must somehow make her way to the fifth floor and then back to the first for the game to finally end. Are you saying you think the elevator game had something to do with Alyssa's death? Absolutely. What we're seeing on that video was not a woman having a breakdown. We were seeing the elevator game. She wasn't talking to herself. She was talking to an entity that was able to lure her out of the elevator and ultimately to her death. That was some heavy stuff. Carrie looked at the ground, suddenly bashful. I knew this look. She always got it when she wanted to do something that wasn't completely innocent. Carrie was the epitome of straight-laced goody-goody. But as is the case with most goody-goodies, when she decided to get up to no good, all hell broke loose. 
In this case, it would be literal. Do you want to try it? She asked sheepishly, almost whispering, not yet able to bring herself to make eye contact with me. I knew she thought it was a bad idea, but I also knew that her curiosity had gotten the better of her. The game sounded ridiculous and silly, like something out of a bad comic. But then again, we were both devout believers in all things paranormal, and I had to admit my curiosity had been piqued. My competitive streak didn't help matters either. If anyone could beat the elevator game and not be lured into another dimension, I was confident that it would be me. I put my hand on Carrie's shoulder, and she finally looked at me. I grinned. Of course I want to try it. Carrie's father was a contractor who was working on a massive hotel renovation downtown, a project about which he had bored her over several dinners. The following Friday, after deciding we would play the elevator game, Carrie had managed to swipe his ID badge from his coat pocket, which would give us access to the freight elevator in the half of the building that was closed for construction. There would be no guests, maids, or managers in that part of the building, just us and whatever creepy spirits might await. After telling our parents we were sleeping over at another friend's house, we dressed in dark clothing, which Carrie said would make us seem more covert, and headed downtown. When we arrived at the hotel, we strolled through the pristine marble lobby, tapped the ID badge on a door marked employees only, and walked down a long, dark hallway illuminated by exit signs. The darkness, combined with the red glow, made me wonder if we weren't already in a different dimension. We reached a wide open area that was still unfinished. Buckets and tools were scattered haphazardly, as if the workers chose to drop everything right at quitting time. The lights were on, but not yet working at their full capacity, and they flickered erratically. We walked past a bank of passenger elevators to the freight elevator, and Carrie tapped the ID badge to another pad before pressing the call button. The elevator clanked and whirred, emitting rusty, creaking sounds indicative of neglect. When it reached the bottom, the door strained open with a growl. It was as if we were at the maw of a broken, elderly beast. The adrenaline was starting to build in the bottom of my stomach. There were few things in life that I liked more than a hit of adrenaline. It was an addiction, and I had a feeling that whether the elevator game was real or not, I was about to go on a bender. I took a step forward and felt Carrie pull on my arm. Wait, what if all of this is like, for real? She looked down at her feet. I could tell her fear was embarrassing to her in that moment, as, like me, fear usually tended to excite and motivate her. After all, we were the girls at the slumber party who insisted on a horror movie marathon, who played Bloody Mary in dark bathrooms, and who whipped out the Ouija board whenever we had the opportunity, including one time in a cemetery at midnight 
In fact, just like the cemetery Ouija board session, this whole thing had been Carrie's idea. But I knew she was getting cold feet. Isn't that why we're here? I coaxed. To see if it's for real? I could feel my adrenaline starting to fade, and I didn't like it. We had come this far. I was going to play this game. Yes, but... She twirled a piece of hair around her finger and wouldn't look at me. What if there really is another dimension and we get stuck in it? Is it smart for both of us to be in there together? I looked at her and sighed. I had been equally terrified when we did the Ouija board on top of a tombstone, but I had enjoyed every minute of it. I was getting the sense that Carrie's relationship to fear might be slightly different and perhaps more reasonable than mine. I decided to let her off the hook. You're right. Maybe one of us should keep watch. Maybe you should stay. If someone asks why you're here, you can always show your dad's ID and make up a cover story. Tell him he sent you to find his lost car keys or something. I could see the relief on her face. Besides, I said, giving her a nudge. I'm pretty sure this whole thing is a bunch of BS anyway. I stepped into the elevator and looked at my forearm. I had scrawled the floor sequence on it in Sharpie. One, four, two, six, two, ten, five, one. Let's see. First stop, fourth floor. Women's lingerie. Carrie ignored my joke and pointed her index finger at me. Remember, she said, do not talk or look at the woman who enters the elevator. Do not get off the elevator if anything seems strange. I mean, anything. Even if it's something small, like a weird smell, stay on the elevator. You will know that you are in the other dimension when everything is dark and you see the red cross. Do not interact with anyone you see. And no matter what, You have to finish the game and get back to the ground floor. As the doors closed, I gave her a salute to let her know her message had been received. We had agreed that if anything went wrong, I would hit the emergency bell. Hopefully she would be able to hear it in her dimension. The elevator began moving, and I felt my adrenaline rise. There was a part of me that had a feeling that the game wouldn't work. A bigger part of me, however, hoped that it would. Just as long as you're careful, everything will be fine, I told myself. I knew the rules. I would stay in the elevator if something seemed off, and I would finish the game. Other than that, I was ready to enjoy whatever good scares might be in store for me. The elevator announced its arrival at the fourth floor with a thunk and an off-key ping. I patted its wall to encourage it. The doors opened. Just like the lobby below, a half-lit, half-finished hallway stretched before me. Buckets, tools, and drop cloths covered the floor. There was nothing to see here. I looked at my arm. Next stop, second floor. Men's department. I laughed at my own joke. 
Once again, the freight elevator groaned and shuddered on its way to the second floor. When the doors opened, I saw that the hallway was fully finished. Only one light was on, but the slick new floor reflected it brightly. Brass fixtures and cherry wood covered every surface. I pressed the button again, this time for the sixth floor. When the doors opened, I gasped. A woman was standing there. Oh, thank goodness, she said as she entered the elevator. I got lost in this maze of a hotel and wound up in a construction zone where none of the other elevators were working. Can you tell me how to get to the fitness center? I remembered Carrie's stern warning and did not look at or speak to the woman. I could tell in my peripheral vision that she was wearing workout clothes and carrying a yoga mat. I said nothing and pressed the button for the second floor. Excuse me? Did you hear me? I said nothing and stared at the floor. Are you deaf or something? She moved to stand in front of me. I turned away. What's your problem? I said nothing. When the elevator reached the second floor, I closed my eyes and gestured to the hallway, hoping she would think I was directing her to the fitness center and leave the elevator. She disembarked, like, how muttering mean. curse words under her breath. Why wouldn't she just I kept my eyes closed until the doors like, closed again so I did not risk courtesy. catching a glimpse. After the doors closed, I felt a little silly. The rational part of my brain told me that this woman was just lost and searching for her yoga class, not trying to lure me into another dimension. However, the part of my brain that believed in the supernatural thought it was always better to be safe than sorry. I shook off my uncomfortable feelings and pressed the button for the 10th floor. The elevator whirred and clunked, but when it reached its destination, the doors stayed closed. Great. The big metal dinosaur had chosen that moment to go extinct. I pressed the button for the doors to open. Nothing happened. Not good. Look, I know this game is stupid, but I have to finish it. Please help me, and I promise to... Make sure to put in a good word for you to Carrie's dad. My pleading seemed to work, because a moment later, the doors heaved open. Like the others, the hallway was only half-lit and littered with construction debris. A sheet of plastic hung over the window at the end, and in front of it, I saw the silhouette of a figure. It was petite, and almost frail-looking, and it began walking toward me. It stepped into a pool of overhead light partway down the hallway, and I could make out a familiar floral pattern on her blouse, like something a substitute teacher would wear. It was Carrie. She must have come looking for me and taken the stairs. I left the elevator and ran into the hallway. Carrie, I'm so happy to see you. The elevator is stuck. Do you have your dad's? Carrie was reaching out to me, beckoning me with her fingers. 
she began making strange squeaking sounds, and I ran to be closer to her. Her eyes and lips were sewn shut with a thick, ropey thread. I stood there, staring in disbelief as she, this thing, inched closer to me. I had no idea what I was looking at, but it was not Carrie. Something was really wrong. Oh my god. Heat shot up my spine and into my scalp, and my skin started to prickle. What was happening? I turned and ran back to the elevator. Before I reached it, someone grabbed my arm, digging into it with sharp nails. I didn't dare look back. I wriggled my way out of my cardigan to escape whatever was gripping me and ducked inside the elevator, hiding by the control panel and pressing the door close button. Come on, come on, I pleaded, panting. I was scared and not in a fun way. A pale hand reached into the elevator a second before the doors closed and then retracted. A solitary bang against the door from the outside reverberated through the elevator, and then everything was silent. What the hell was that? I had clearly seen a bizarro carry from another dimension, but it was nothing like what I had read on the internet. There had been light in the hallway, and no red cross. Was I hallucinating? Had my imagination run away with me? Suddenly, this didn't seem so fun, and it wasn't a silly internet legend. Something was really wrong. I needed to finish the sequence and get out of wherever I was. I looked down at my arm again and pressed the fifth floor. The elevator complied, albeit not without some graceless jolting. I couldn't wrap my mind around what I had just seen. The game was real. The elevator stopped at the fifth floor. I hid by the control panel. It wasn't lost on me that Alyssa had hidden in just the same way as the doors opened. I was expecting blackness when I finally peeked around the corner. Instead, the hallway had the same layout as all the others, but it was drenched in a cloying shade of pink. It reminded me of the time I splattered my white bedroom walls with recently swallowed Pepto-Bismol during a bout of the stomach flu. There were frilly curtains over the window at the end of the hallway, and paintings of carousel horses. It was like a Victorian nursery. It didn't belong here. The noise was faint at first, barely perceptible. A giggle, and then the echoing of footsteps. They were small and quick, as if they belonged to a child. And then louder giggling and more footsteps. I stepped one foot out of the elevator and was almost bowled over by a child running past me and down another section of the hallway. 
Then, silence. I pulled my foot back into the elevator. All I could hear was my own breath. One of the doors lining the hallway opened, and a little girl stepped out of it. Her face was hidden by her hands, but I could hear sobs. She was crying. She wore a lacy pinafore, patent leather Mary Janes, and had blonde ringlets like an antique doll. She's looking for you. Her words were muffled by her hands. She let them fall to her sides, and I could see that her face was wet. Pouring from her eyes were not tears, but blood. The rest of the doors opened all at once. Within an instant, the hallway was filled with children. They were running erratically, bumping into each other and the wall as if they were blind. The girls looked just like the one who had spoken to me. She was standing in the middle of it all, staring at me. The boys were wearing knickers and white collared shirts, as if they were about to head to church. Their charming appearances made the whole scene even more petrifying and confusing. I felt a whimper build in my throat, and all I could do was watch as these children ran around the hallway. I couldn't get my arm to do what I was commanding it to do, push the door close button. When it finally did, I looked down and pounded it frantically. Please, 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 come on. Suddenly, the footsteps in the hallway stopped. I lifted my eyes from the control panel. The children had their backs to me. There was a buzzing sound, like a broken fluorescent bulb. A loud squealing note exploded in my ear, and I put a hand over it in an attempt to stifle the sound. Ever so slowly, the children turned around in unison, as if they were on rotating bases. Now I understood why they had bumped into each other. Their eyes were empty sockets, and from them black blood poured down their faces. I stared at them. They stood still, like dolls on a shelf, waiting to be played with. Terrible, horrifying dolls. The air became shrill with laughter, and all at once their little feet began running toward me. Of their own accord, the elevator doors slammed, and with more speed than I thought possible, just before the children could reach me. It was as if it was protecting me. Their tiny fists banged on the door, echoing through the elevator like demonic raindrops. I pressed the button for the first floor, moved to the back corner and huddled into a ball. The fear had rooted into every part of my body and I began to sweat and shake. My heart and breath were too fast and I couldn't slow them down. It's okay, it's okay. You just need to get back to the first floor and the game will be over. Just one more floor. I rested my face on my knees and covered my ears with my hands. The elevator lurched and jolted 
making its troublesome noises one last time. I felt it come to a stop and heard the doors open. I was expecting to see Carrie waiting for me. She wasn't. I burst into tears. Standing outside the elevator doors was my friend Max, who had taken his own life a year earlier. He wasn't supposed to be here, but I didn't care. The grief in my life had flowed like hot magma since his death. Oh my god, oh my god! I ran into his arms, sobbing. He whispered into my hair. His breath was warm, and he smelled like clove cigarettes with a slight tinge of body odor, just like he always had. We stood there, clutching each other. I extracted my face from the puddle I had created on his shirt and looked at him. He always smiled so widely that it made his eyes squint and the skin around them crinkle. I had missed those eyes. His red hair was still a mop of curls on his head. You shouldn't be here. No, sweetie. You shouldn't be here. This place isn't for you. Why are you here? I touched his face, slurring my words through the tears. Carrie and I wanted to see what would happen. I suddenly felt silly and hugged him again. Oh, Alice, you should know better than to mess with this stuff. I need to get you out of here. He pulled back and looked at me, smiling, with his eyes squinting. I smiled back, my eyes filling with tears. I didn't want this moment to end. And then the smile left. In a quick motion, his arm moved, and I felt a searing pain across my throat. My hand instinctively covered it and quickly became hot with blood. It pulsated and spilled down the front of my shirt, and I slid down the back wall of the elevator and laid my head on the floor as a pool of blood formed around it. I closed my eyes so that I couldn't see Max. I knew it wasn't him, just like it hadn't been Carrie. I was choking and gasping. Air became elusive, and the blood started to coagulate against my cheek and cool. A gargling sound grew in the back of my throat. It wouldn't be long now. See a spook, he said. Spook had been Max's nickname for me. That one hurt. The ground spun for a moment, and then it was as if the elevator bottom had dropped out, and I was falling quickly into nothingness. My breath jolted and rattled one last time, and then... Silence. Someone was shaking me. Alice! Alice, can you hear me? I opened my eyes and saw Carrie, whose mouth and eyes were not stitched shut, sitting next to me. I touched my throat. It was fully intact. What happened? 
I croaked out. Even though my throat was whole, my voice seemed damaged. That didn't make sense. Carrie helped me to my feet. I don't know. You were gone for a really long time, and when the door opened, you were on the ground, unconscious. I felt a flutter of panic where the wound had been on my throat. Carrie, we have to get out of here. Now. Just tell me you're okay. I, I don't know. Let's just go. My knees were weak, and it was hard for me to walk. Carrie put my arm over her shoulder. It wasn't until we stepped from the elevator that I saw that the lights were off and the hallway was pitch black. I froze. Carrie felt me tense and rubbed my back. I know what you're thinking, but it's okay. All of the lights are out on this side of the building. I think they turned them off around 2 a.m. There's no point keeping them on all night, I guess. I was so worried the elevator wouldn't work. Thank goodness you made it back safely. My legs felt detached from my body, and I had to look down at my feet to make sure they were moving. I just wanted to get as far away from the elevator as I could. I wanted to get to a place where there was light and people, and maybe some strong coffee. I needed to tell Carrie everything that the game was not just an internet legend. I kept my eyes on the exit. Nothing else mattered. Sometimes, in our haste to move forward, we miss things. Fine details, nuances, slippery twists of fate. Often, we ignore these things at our peril. I was moving with a singular focus along a straight line toward the door. Safety was just a few steps away. What I didn't see, there in the darkness, just outside my field of vision, was a glowing red cross. You've been listening to the Night's End podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. The Elevator Game was written by Brooke McKenzie. It was narrated by R.E. Rule, who also performed Alice. Kerry was performed by Rebecca Strazina. Woman in the Elevator was performed by Jess Carrier. Max was performed by James Barnett. Creepy Child was performed by Marianne Coleman. Lee Mortain was performed by Falconetti. Malik was performed by Xander Swag. Jimmy Horrors was performed by James Barnett. The Elevator Game was originally published in Who Knocks magazine, issue number two, in 2019, and was placed on the preliminary ballot for a Bram Stoker Award that same year. For more from Brooke, head over to www.bamackenzie.com or follow her on Instagram at MacBrookPro. R.E. Rule 
is one half of the team over at Tiny Tales Podcast, which is a weekly short story podcast spanning fantasy, horror, comedy, and everything in between. Go to www.tinytalespodcast.com to find out more. Rebecca Strazina is the host of the podcast The West London Witch, where they share real stories about all things spooky, strange, mysterious, and unexplained. You can find it for free wherever you find your podcasts. Link is in the show notes. Jess Carrier is from Prairieland Paranormal Podcast, where their fascination for all things weird and strange is translated into a podcast. Just search Prairieland Paranormal Podcast where you get your podcasts or head to prairielandparanormalpodcast.com. Malik was performed by Xander Swag from the Xander and Stone Podcast, a science and supernatural podcast where they talk about all things weird. Just search for Xander and Stone wherever you get your podcasts or head over to www.xspodcast.com. This episode was edited and produced by James Barnett. And as always, stay horrific, everyone. <laughs>